Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. So today's message is entitled Revival Season 2, History Makers. And I believe I'm looking at history makers this morning. You know, you can read about history or you can be somebody that can make history. And it's good to read about history, but God wants you to be a history maker. And we want to talk about that that dynamic in the context of revival. And this morning, right before the service, actually during worship, the Lord spoke to me. And I just felt that some of you here feel that you're under a curse. And I need to announce to you that the curse is broken that Jesus breaks the curse over your life. So if you're here and you feel like you're under this curse, like it seems everything is going to go wrong. If it's going to go bad, it's going to happen to you. If you're living under a curse and and you embrace that, realize today that curse is being broken over your life so that you can begin to walk in God's blessing that he's intended for you. Do you believe that Jesus is the curse breaker? He absolutely is, and I believe he's going to break the curse over our lives. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 85, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 is actually a theme verse for this series. And and let me just, as you're finding your place there, some of you actually believe you're living under a curse, but that mentality needs to change when you discover the truth of God's Word, because you don't have to live under a curse, because Jesus redeemed us from the curse according to Galatians 3.13, so that the blessing of God could come upon us. So now, Psalms 85, verse 6, starting there, it says, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? This is the plea from the psalmist. Verse 7, Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. When revival comes, there's a manifestation, there's a revelation of the love of God. And people get saved. And what does it mean to get saved? It simply means to come into a knowledge of understanding of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And us embracing that truth and and receiving the gift of eternal life that's made available to us through his sacrificial death. And what he's done for us to, to save us literally from our sins so that we don't have to stand in judgment for the sins that we've committed because Jesus paid the price for our sins. You know, could you imagine if if, if you had committed a, a, a crime that meant that you had to go to jail for the rest of your life and there was somebody that would come and stand in your place and say, I will take the penalty. I will take the sentence that was given to this person so that they can go free. And see, we know that there's authority in the law of the land to to pardon somebody of a crime. But we have a higher authority in heaven that has pardoned us for the crimes that we've committed, the sins that we've committed. And isn't that wonderful to know that we can receive a divine pardon from God? And we don't have to suffer the penalty of our sin, which is separation from God and eternal hell fire. Some people believe, oh, hell isn't real. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, try to second guess that because uh, you won't really know until you die if it's real or not. And I don't want to take my chance on that. How about you? So this psalm here, this scripture here, we see is the heart cry 
for revival. The psalmist's prayer was a confession of need. If you believe there's a need for revival, then you should pray that God would send revival. I believe that's something we should be praying about, don't you? Because it's usually when people are facing need that they pray. And it's recognizing that need so that we can do something about it and take action because you can make a difference. In Psalms 57, verse 2, I came across this verse earlier this week. I shared it during intercessory prayer on Tuesday night. The psalmist writes, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. See, there's that hard cry where we cry out to God, God, you are the one that can fulfill your purpose for my life. And I believe that God is capable of doing that to fulfill the purpose that he's ordained for you. See, babies cry. You know, we have a new grandson, and he cries, and he cries a lot, right? You know, I mean, the babies, that's what they do kind of best. They cry a lot. But, you know, the reason they cry, there's two primary reasons why they cry. You know what they are? They cry because they're hungry, or they cry because they need a change. And see, we can shift that to us as adults or as older young people, and there's really, it fits because we cry for those very reasons. We cry because we're hungry. We're hungry for something more. We're hungry for more of God. Or we cry because we need a change in our life. Because I tell you, if, if you don't change a baby, things get to stinking pretty bad. You know, and, and so you need to change. And, and we used to have a scripture over our nursery at our child care center. Uh, they may not all sleep, but they will be changed. Right? You get it? That, that is a scripture, okay? So, all right. Yeah. What are you bound to that's holding you back? Uh, that's a question I want you to think about for a moment because for you to be a history maker, maker you need to understand that there's things that are holding you back from succeeding in the calling of God that's upon your life. And although you may not be a minister standing behind the pulpit like me, there's a calling upon your life to do something to make a difference in this earth. You were created on purpose for a purpose because God has a plan in mind for you. Your life is significant. It's not insignificant. We don't need to buy into that lie of the enemy because it, that lies what causes people to end their life. Because they don't see a future, they don't see a purpose, a reason for them to continue to live. But that's something that is stripped away when we come to grips and understand that God has a purpose and a plan for all of us. Let's take a moment and pray. And as we pray this morning, we want to pray for those in the path of Hurricane Irma. Those that are still being affected by the outcome of Hurricane Harvey and the, the fires out west. There's just a lot happening coming down on this nation. And some people may call this judgment, but we know that whether it's judgment, we know that God always sends mercy. He sends mercy before judgment. And so we need to pray for God's mercy to be extended to the earth right now, to our nation right now. So let's take a moment and pray. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we humble ourselves. No one deserves more attention on earth than you. Lord, we seek you today 
not out of pretense, but out of a genuine desire and out of great need. We acknowledge our great need for you, Father God. Help us to be fully submitted to you in thought, word, and deed. Father, we pray for this congregation as, as we declare your word that they would receive truth that would impact their lives. Father, that you would build us up so that we could truly be a blessing in this earth to serve your purpose for this generation. Father, we pray, Father, for those in the path of Hurricane Irma, those that have already been devastated, losing, Father, their possessions, their homes in the wake of Irma. Father, we pray for the relief effort for those that are responding to the need of the hour. Father, we pray for peace. We pray for salvation for those that don't know you. That out of, Father, this aftermath, you would bring revival. That hearts would be turned towards you. That they would earnestly cry out to you, Father, for your mercy to be extended in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for the firefighters out west. That you would protect them, keep them safe. We pray that the winds would shift, Father, that, and die down so that they would not continue to spread. Father, we pray for the safety and the well-being of the people in Florida. In Jesus' name, we do give you praise. Amen. Amen. Our son Daniel and Amanda and our granddaughter Emery, they actually uh, uh, left Florida because they live right down there south of Tampa. Uh, and they're in Tennessee this morning with some friends of ours. So they took their valuables and because the... the the flood surge or the water surge that comes in, it will be several feet that would probably be in their home. So it's, uh, it's a devastating thing. And so we uh, continue to pray and look to God during this time of need. If, uh, if, you are, uh, you, uh, give, if you give online with our app, you can designate towards the, the uh, relief for uh, hurricane victims. We actually have a, a group from Marshall that's going, and we're going to help give them some uh, funds so that they can help with the relief effort down there. Uh, so in this month, it's, a, it's an interesting month because it's, it's the highest expense month for the ministry, but we're trusting God that every need will be met. And so we want to be generous in this relief effort uh, to uh, those that are being affected by these storms. Amen. Can you say amen to that? All right. Well, last week, uh, we started out with where does revival start? And really, it starts with you recognizing the need to change, acquiring the desire to change, and to let that change happen, to embrace the change. And so many times, we, we fail to embrace the change that God wants to bring in our life because we're afraid of the outcome of that change. Change is not always easy, but it's necessary if we're going to see God accomplish what he wants to do in our lives. And so we, we need to embrace that change. We shared with you 2 Corinthians 3.17, which says that we are changed and transformed into his image. And that's the purpose of, of what God wants to do through revival, to transform our lives, to change us from glory to glory, more and more into the image of Jesus. I believe that revival occurs in the hearts of those who recognize the need to change, resulting in a life that is transformed by Jesus. So I believe that revival has occurred throughout history. We, we see impacting, generations were impacted by revival, yet we are in need of revival today. There's so much wrong in this world, 
And God is not an outsider unless we refuse to invite him in. And so he's given us a free will. So we're calling on God. We're asking him to come in the mass of things and to begin to get things set in order. And I'm excited about that. So when we talk about history makers, we ask the question, we can either make history or we can, are you somebody that is wanting to make some history? Okay. And, and I'm not just talking about on your web browser because, you know, you, you have history there. And uh, hopefully you don't have to be the person who's always deleting your history because uh, that's not always good. History is not just browsing, your browsing activity on the Internet. But history is something that really, when you break down the words, it's his story. It's the story of your life. It's what you accomplish. It's what you're able to do in the time period that you're actually alive on this earth. History makers, it's really leaving a mark in this world. And it's not just making it. I mean, it's not just reading it, as I said earlier, but it's making it. Now, there's a quote by William James. He states, the great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. So what can you do in this life that will live beyond your life on this earth? That's what I'm talking about today. Challenging you to determine in your heart that you're going to become a history maker. History makers are ordinary people who do extraordinary things with their life. History makers are world changers. You know, I believe I'm looking at a room full of world, world changers that you can change the world that you're living in because it, it's not something you do alone because God's with you. He's on your side and you can access God's presence and God's power to make a difference on this earth. He didn't leave you alone to fend for things on your own, but he's made a way for you to make a difference. It's interesting. There's a book I came across on the internet entitled uh, History Makers. It's sold by Amazon. It's written by Eon Whitelaw and Julie Whit, Whit, Whittaker. Okay, I'll, I'll get it right. And, and they write in there about the 100 most influential people of the 20th century. And so I think there's a lot of focus on people who make history. When you, that's why they have a class called history. Because you're looking at individuals that made a difference in their generation. And I believe that God wants you to make a difference in this generation. The scripture tells us in Acts that David served the purpose of God for his generation. So we need to serve the purpose of God for this generation. Now we've been talking about revival. What is revival? What does it look like? Defining revival can be a challenge because it can mean different things to different people. But as believers, we need to be willing to embrace a revival mentality. And when I say that, it's really thinking beyond just normal, routine living, but allowing God's supernatural activity to become a part of our regular, regular life. So because life can be pretty dull and boring if we're just going through the motions and going through the routine, but God wants to begin to invade your routine and do something significant through you. Because he can do something so powerful through your life that can make a difference in the lives of others. And see, I, I want my life to be spent to make a difference in the lives of others. And see, when you come to that place, you realize you can't live selfishly anymore. You can't live just for yourself. But you need to, to see the need in others and ask God to help you 
to fulfill and, and meet those needs because we're surrounded with need. Every time I go to Africa, the need overwhelms me. But I know I'm only one person, and as one person, I can make a difference. Even though it may seem small and insignificant, insignificant I can make a difference. And so can you. You can make a difference. Revival also means an improvement in the condition or strength of something. It is renewed attention or interest. It's a renewed focus on something. And so I believe, in, in, well, Webster's defines it. This is actually the Webster's Revised Unabridged Dictionary, specifically, says, Revival is a restoration of force, validity, or effect, renewal. I like the word force because revival is a force. It's a force that we have to respond to because God is wanting to do something different in our lives. Revival means to make alive what is dormant or lifeless. It means to breathe new life into what is stagnant or dead. See, springtime is a type of, of revival because it's seemingly the trees are dead, the plants are dead, but all of a sudden they spring to new life. How many of you love springtime? I, I love when you drive, you see the, the buds come out. It's not green yet, but the buds are there. And before long, all of a sudden, the green leaves begin to grow on the trees and the grass begins to grow again. And, and, and things come to life after a period of dormancy. And, and so often, our lives can be dormant, realizing that there's a potential for there to be life, but they're in dormancy. And God wants to bring revival. He wants to bring things to life in our lives. Revival is a return, it's a recall or recovery to life from death or even apparent death. It is a return or recovery from a state of neglect, from uh, complacency or compromise. It's a renewal and an awakening to spiritual concerns. You become more concerned about the things of God than the things that pertain to man. It's whenever the presence of God comes into manifestation to impact the human heart. That's what revival is. God's presence showing up on the scene. Wow, when God shows up, look out. When his presence shows up, and, and it's interesting because many times in a service, I'll see the presence of God moving upon a person. And I know that's nothing I can do. That's something only God can do to bring his presence to your life, to begin to change you and transform you to set you free from what's holding you back. There's two important elements necessary for, for revival. I believe there's a longing for God's presence, and then there's the importance of prayer. Longing for his presence, and more and more I'm praying, God, let your presence be in this service this morning. I want you to show up. I want you to come and meet with the people today. Because when God's presence is here, things change. Where there's confusion, where there's turmoil, there's peace. Where there's fear, where there's anxiety, there's that sense of peace and stability that comes. Wow. 
In Matthew 5, 6, the scripture says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The problem is we've been hungering and thirsting for the wrong things. But when we make the shift and begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness is those things. It's, it's what's right in God's equation. And what's right in the eyes of God, it's seeking after what's right in the context of who he is for our lives. See, signs of revival are when God starts moving and miracles begin to happen. And I believe God wants to perform miracles in this generation to reveal himself. Because when we look back and track uh, revivals throughout history, we see very often many, many miracles that occur during those revivals. So I believe that people's hearts, attitudes, and actions change for the better when revival shows up. The backslider or the person who's been away from Christ comes back to him. The complacent get turned on to Jesus. The, comp- the compromising Christian gets convicted. There's repentance. There's confession of sins. And God begins to just wipe the sit- slate clean on, on people's lives and hearts. So I believe that God wants to break strongholds that have held you back from moving in him. He wants to strip away the superficial and replace it with the supernatural. Do you believe that? Now, in light of how bad it is in the world today, there is a growing cry for revival. There is a growing cry for an outpouring of of God's spirit. And I believe that, again, God prefers to send revival rather than judgment. And so we have to pray for God's mercy in this hour. We deserve judgment, but God will send his mercy. And I believe that you need to recognize and acknowledge the need for revival. And I hope we're on the same page. Do you recognize a need and acknowledge a need for revival in our nation, in the world? I believe we're all on the same page. Uh, I want to talk about John the Baptist this morning in my three points entitled to be a history maker. We're going to look at him. And so there's something that John the Baptist uh, that relates to his life is very significant because he was at a pivotal point between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. He was a forerunner. A forerunner is a person who goes ahead and prepares a way. He was the forerunner for Jesus to come. And it's interesting because he was a forerunner for Jesus' first coming. But I believe you and I are forerunners for his second coming because we're to prepare the way of the Lord for him to return to this earth, to come and and establish his kingdom. And so if you understand that mindset, as we look at John the Baptist, we'll begin to realize that there's something about a forerunner that applies to us as well. And so the testimony of John the Baptist is that he was a history maker. In Luke 7, 28, Jesus made a statement about him. He said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Wow. So that was from Jesus. There's nobody greater than this dude. I mean, this guy, he's got to be something else. But Jesus didn't stop in his dialogue. He continued to say, And yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. 
Wow, that was talking about us. Now you might think, can I be greater than John the Baptist? According to what Jesus said, you are. Even if you think you're least in the kingdom, by Jesus' own statement, you are greater than John the Baptist. And when we see what he accomplished, what he did in faithfully serving God, that can blow your mind. But it's understanding that, that God sees greatness in all of us, okay? So that's not to put John down, but it's to show that there's an emphasis upon those in the new covenant that are part of the kingdom where there's a greater greatness, so to speak, for our lives and how Jesus sees us and the potential of what we can accomplish. Now let's look at John chapter 1 because we'll see the testimony of John in verses 19 through 23. Let's read this quickly. John 1, 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And who is this guy? He's out there preaching. He's eating locust and wild honey. Now, when I went to Israel, I found out that locusts are not the bugs. I thought he's eating these bugs. There's a plant called the locust plant, okay? So he was most likely a vegetarian, okay? But he's eating these plants and wild honey. So he wasn't out there eating bugs, okay? So that's a, a Christian myth. A lot of people, oh, this guy, he was tough. He ate bugs. You know, now Sam, he might eat some bugs every now and then. Or some of you that, that ride motorcycles without a helmet, when you're smiling, you might eat a bug or two. But, but uh, John the Baptist, he, for the record, he, he most likely ate plants, okay? So this is his testimony. He said, who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Okay, that's, that's good. And, and we, we need to say the same. I am not Jesus, okay? Uh, so, but... Who is he? And they ask him, verse 21, What then? Are you Elijah? Because it was prophesied that Elijah the prophet was going to come back. Okay? And so, and then it goes on to, he said, no. Uh, he said, I am not. Okay, he's, he's not Elijah, okay, for the record. And then he said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no, verse 22. Then they said to him, who are you? They're still trying to figure out who this guy is. We need, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now, that's, that's a good question right there for another message, for another time. What do you say about yourself? Okay? That's a good question because I believe you need to know the answer to that. Okay? Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one. Crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he's the one saying, okay, I'm crying out. We need to make way for the Lord to come. See, that's a role that you and I have. We need to make way for the Lord to come. So to be a history maker, John the Baptist, it, be, it begins with your story. See, John the Baptist was a surprise birth. You know, his, his mom was way past the years of childbearing. So he was a miracle birth from that standpoint. And, and we shared with you last week that your story is already written according to Psalms 139.16. That God already wrote in the book your story. And it is to be lived out and fulfilled if you embrace it. Okay? 
Isaiah 40, verse 3, the scripture says, in relating to John the Baptist, talking about his coming, it says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. See, that's the job of a forerunner. That was John the Baptist's mission in the earth. And really, that's our mission in the earth now, to make way for the Lord to come. So I believe that synchronizing with the heart of God to hear and see what God wants us to be is important to be a history maker. We need to connect with the heart of God. We need to discover what he wants us to do so that we can be a history maker. Point number two is your story includes others. It impacts others. And it will make a difference in other people's lives. There's a quote by Shannon Elder that says, Carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you. I, I love that statement because it's, it's okay to have your name etched on the tombstone, but better yet, how about in the hearts of people? Lydia Sweat, S-W-E-A-T-T, -T, Sweat, I guess how you pronounce that. It says, all good men and women must take responsibility to create legacies that will take the next generation to a level we could only imagine. See, we want to leave something that's going to take this generation to a whole nother level. And then point number three, live your life to make a difference. If you want to be a history maker, live your life to make a difference. History makers are often misunderstood while they're alive and celebrated after they're gone. So don't worry about being celebrated now. Benjamin Franklin made a statement, said if you are or if you would not be forgotten as soon as you are dead, either you write something worth reading or do something worth writing. That's a good statement. See, to make a difference, you have to be different. Now, I'm not saying odd. You need to be different. Okay, because there's too many odd people around. We, we don't need any more of them. But we need people to be different, okay? In John 3.30, I believe this is something when John the Baptist came to this point in his life when he realized that some of his disciples were leaving him and now following after Jesus. He, he was okay with that. Why? Because in John 3.30, he made this statement, he must increase, but I must decrease. And I believe that's a theme for us as well. We need to determine in our heart that Jesus will increase. We need to allow him to increase in our life, and we must determine that we're going to decrease so that there'll be more of Jesus and less of us. That's God's plan. Is that something we can embrace? Is that something we can take a hold of? I believe it is. See, believing to be a world changer without embracing that is just being a daydreamer. See, we need to believe that Jesus is going to increase in our life. See, I believe a man or a woman who fears God will have no need to ever fear any other human being. And John the Baptist was that kind of person. He, didn't, he wasn't afraid of men. He was so caught up in God's purpose and determined to fulfill it that he didn't let the fear of man hold him back, did he? See, he feared no man. And the only way you will fear no man is to have the fear of God. 
it will cause you to be on God's side and stay on God's side. See, I believe that revival comes when people begin to seek God because of dissatisfaction with their present spiritual condition. And as I wrap this up and bring this to a close, I want you to pay attention to this. I believe when spiritual hunger exceeds our fear, then we can reach out and embrace more of what God has for us rather than be content with what we have. Revival is when people desire to have more of God in their lives no matter the cost. Charles Finney made a statement quoting him, a revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. And as we bring this to a close, I, I want to ask you the question, what is God speaking to you or saying to you through this message today? Is there something that he's challenged you with? Is, some, is there something that you know you need to, to make an adjustment or make a decision or respond to? Because I believe God wants you to respond to his word today. And we want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, we want to extend an invitation to you so that you can find and make your peace with God. Because before you leave this life, if you don't do that, you will face certain judgment. But if you, in this life, choose to surrender your life to Jesus, to open your heart to Him, to put your faith in who He is, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Him. Jesus is the way for salvation. He's the way to find forgiveness of sins. He's the way to find deliverance from addictions. He's the way to find freedom to live out the life according to what He's planned for you, to fulfill His purpose for what He created you for. Let's stand up together. And as we are standing here with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around at this time, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I know my life is not right with God. If I were to die today, I'm uncertain that I'd go to heaven. But I'm willing to surrender my life to Jesus today. I'm willing to admit that I'm a sinner, that I need a Savior. I'm willing to invite Jesus into my heart to be the Lord of my life. I'm willing to accept him as my savior, as the one who's redeemed me from my sins. I'm willing to give my heart to him and allow and entrust him to do with me what he wants. If that's you this morning, lift your hand and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm willing to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm willing to give my heart to him. I know that my life is not right with God. If I were to die, I don't want to face God right now. I'm not at peace with him. If that's you, lift your hand. And we're going to pray with you. All right, let's pray this prayer together. If you lifted your hand, especially, I want you to pray this prayer. In a moment, we're going to have the prayer team come up, and they're going to pray with a number of people, anybody that has need. But I want you to join them as well. As we pray this prayer, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you. And I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. That he died for my sins on the cross. 
He rose from the dead to give me life. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins and make my life what you want it to be. I surrender to you now. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.